All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the fucksters? What the fuckstables? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckleberry fins? What the fuck is sugarnas? What the fucking ucks? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. On the show today, the amazing Billy Connolly, the uh, the one of a kind Billy Connolly, the the master of the Scottish storytellers, <laughs> Billy Connolly. I, I was thrilled to see him. I haven't seen him in years, and he's uh he's definitely. He's one of those guys where you, you know, you hang around him and you just, you know, he fills you up, man. So, uh, so that's coming up on the show. First off, I want to thank the people that came out to the Steve Allen Theater, the Trippany House over there. Uh, that's, that's the theater in residence at the Steve Allen on Tuesday, March 4th. Uh, Rebecca Corey, I want to thank her. She was very funny uh, opening for me. And uh, I did about an hour 15 or something and just working through some stuff, working through some stories, trying to find the nuggets, trying to find uh, the groove, the through line, the thing that's going to make the new hour. And I'm glad uh, that, that that so many people, supportive people, people that dig what I do and had a good time, you know, came out. And uh, I just I guess I want to say I appreciate it. I think we got some real work done, even for the people that didn't that came to both shows. Some people tend to come to all of these shows. And I've added a couple for that reason. Uh I think I did a whole different, at least 35 minutes than I did the first time. And like, we'll render it down, man. That's, you know, this is the process. I, I don't know how other guys do it, uh, but this is the way you do it. I guess I could be out there doing uh, doing comedy clubs in 15 minute portions, but that doesn't really work for me. I could go out on the road and do some club dates, which I'm going to do uh, in April and and run some of this stuff. But I didn't want to go completely blind. It's exciting for me to uh, to riff out. Uh, in a supportive room, which is not always what you get when you go to a comedy club. So again, thank you for coming out, and I and I appreciate that. Uh, the other Trippany House shows at the Steve Allen Theater are uh, March 11th, March 18th, and March 25th. I think there might be some standing room at the March 11th show. You can go to trippanyhouse.org to uh, to get tickets for March 18th and March 25th. I'm doing all the Tuesdays this month. I'm recording them, and guess what? I'm listening to what I recorded to create an hour. I have this fantasy, folks. I have a fantasy where my next special and my next CD is called Mark Marin Structured. Did I mention that the, the Canadian premiere of uh, Marin is tonight, March 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on the movie network? How about that, Canada? How about that, Canada? Hey, you what the fucking ucks. If you get the movie network, Marin, the first season premieres tonight. That's March 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern time. All right? Okay? You got it? You in? It's weird. I was driving over there to the Trippany last night, and you know, I'm just... How many times, man, how many times have I been plowing towards something that, that may or may not go well? How many times have I been driving with a, with a heavy heart and I got to show up and do a show with a heavy heart and not show that heavy heart necessarily because that heavy heart's not funny? How do I fix that? How many times have I done that? And for some reason, my brain went back to this memory I had from, from high school when I was 15 years old and I was an, uh, not an awkward kid. I was socially proficient, funny enough. But with the ladies, not so great. And I, uh, you know, I was a little bit of an eccentric, always an eccentric, but always very sort of like insecure and wondering how I fit into the world. And I remember for some reason I asked out this girl, Ashley. I don't know why I asked her out, but I asked her out. She was way, it wasn't that she was out of my league. She was really out of my fucking world of interest. She was a, a drill team person. She had this weird sort of hairsprayed bouffant hairdo. She was pretty like a doll is pretty if you think dolls are pretty. 
And I thought, well, fuck it, man. That's what that's what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to go out with a girl like that, Mark. And I'm like, no, you're not. She's not going to say yes. But I never entertained the idea that I might not want to spend any time with a girl like that. I just wanted to see if I could, if I could go out with a girl on the drill team who had the hair like that. What an idiot I was. So she said yes. And I remember driving to her house and this all dumped into my head on the way to the show last night. I remember driving to her house. This is a girl with doll hair. Not ironic. This is like 1977, 78. And I've got my orange Converse high tops on. I've got my used pants that I bought at a thrift store with pleats. I've got some sort of shirt that I took from my dad, a work shirt of some kind. And I've got this leather, this sort of burnished, is that what you call it? Burnished leather trench coat that I'd uh, gotten into the habit of wearing. It was sort of reddish color. And I show up at this. All, all I can think is that this woman, for some reason, this girl is what Texas would look like if Texas were a teenage girl. And I showed up like, hey, man, what's up? I'm here. Let's go on our date. And her parents came to the door, you know, uh, daddy conservative, mommy drunk aging doll. Me taking out young doll person. And by doll, I mean doll, like a doll. And we went out and I had nothing to say. And the look on her parents' face of just sort of like, where did this fucking kid land from? What kind of parents made this? What kind of parents has let this go? It's a stunning moment. And I wish I was smart enough at the time to realize that there was nothing wrong with me. Nothing. But that took years. Maybe it just happened. <laughs> but it just just happened. So, folks, as some of you know, the patent troll situation is not over. Uh, the predatory uh, lawyers that have uh, turned out inventors uh, who have claimed the podcast patent are still uh, sending coercive letters to me and other podcasters, and they are actively suing uh, Adam Carolla uh, uh, for a licensing infringement for, for a great deal of money. Uh, Adam Carolla, thankfully, has chosen to fight the fight and now needs our help to fight the fight. And uh, I think it's important that podcasters understand that this isn't over and that it's important for all of us that Adam not only fight this fight, but win this fight against this particular patent troll, because we cannot allow them to set a precedent. We cannot allow them to win this case. We cannot allow them to have the, the, the liberty to license us for, for using a technology that none of us own by proxy because it's an extortion racket and they know that we're the vulnerable ones that can't defend ourselves. Adam's chosen to defend himself and he needs some bread. So I talked to Adam about the very real situation of, uh, of this, uh, of, uh, a personal audios patent troll attack. Uh, I've, you know, some of you heard me talk about it, that, that, that it's an extortion racket. It's a loophole in the patent, uh, office and it's a, it's a loophole. They're working with the support of, uh, a sympathetic judiciary in Texas. And, uh, there's some action against it in the Congress and in the Senate, the uh, president is aware of it, uh, not ours specifically, though I would love that if he said, uh, you know, podcasters need your help. If Obama said that, it would be spectacular. So I, I talked to Adam and, I, you know, I'm going to share that conversation with you now. And, uh, you know, the details, I guess I will 
I will tell you at the beginning of this, you know, to contribute, you go to fundanything.com slash patent troll. Uh, and if you have any questions about this fight, email legaldefense at adamcarolla.com. So now let's go to a conversation I had with Adam so you guys can get a status update of what is going on. The only drainage I have for the whole fucking driveway is some crack over here on the right, which I thought was going in my neighbor's yard, but I don't know where that water's going. Where could that water be going? Well, I was going to say it's going to hell, but then I realized yeah. hell is a dry heat, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know where it's going. I said to somebody yesterday on my podcast, I said, you know, hell should be a wet heat, like yeah. Florida. Yeah, yeah, that, that'd be worse. It should be like get Dade that. County in August. Yeah. It shouldn't be a dry heat. No. It shouldn't be a Palm Springs yeah, heat. You should have the weird humidity rash on top yeah, of it. Yeah, and with else. all the rivers of, of flames and everything, I bet it's a dry heat. <laughs> Someone's got to talk to the devil about that. <laughs> there Maybe there's sections. Maybe there's a Florida section of hell. There should be a consultant like, look, yeah. uh, Beelzebub, yeah. what you got here is miserable. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying yeah. I could make it more miserable. Yeah, yeah. Hear me out. Adam Carolla is here, and uh, I need to. I need you to make me feel better, if you could, because my panic about this patent troll issue has been profound and ongoing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I've done what I can to raise awareness, but now you're in the thick of it. You are actually being sued, and I think initially uh, you didn't think it was going to be a big deal. Is that true? My first impulse was, you know, hey, good luck. I, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. Right. And then I started to get some of the bits and pieces and some of the details, and it's the most expensive litigation to defend. So it's basically somebody said, oh, it's probably about $1.5 million. I mean, if you want to go to court, if you want to defend yourself. And it's a great country we have here. It's $1.5 million for justice. Yeah, right. It's one point five justice, and then I love the part where they go, "You won." Yeah, you won what? what? <laughs> you, I'm exactly the same minus the one point five million dollars. Well, well, these these monsters have figured out this loophole in the patent system to sort of retrofit these patents onto whatever comes up, even right. though they were failed inventors to some degree, and they've retrofitted this patent onto podcasting, and right. and none of us. I, I think the the issue is none of us even know what the hell the technology they're talking about is, nor do we necessarily employ it personally. Yeah, and what what I've said, and and to put a finer point on it, they set up in some backwater town in Texas. That's right. where they hang their shingle. I don't think these guys live there. Their attorneys, their consortium. Yeah, they're essentially the the worst that. You know, when you think big anything or the worst this country has to offer, you know, the the reason everyone was, you know, occupying Wall Street. Right. This is the face of that. Yeah. It's a bunch of dudes in suits that are, were attorneys or whatever who got together, pooled their money, bought patents and now are just applying them to anything in a money grab. Uh I've always said, look, if this works, if they successfully sue me and get me off the air or shut my business down or take a part of my business the the entire internet is up for grabs as far as i'm concerned because well, there's certainly. nobody that's doing anything on itunes or youtube or has anything close to a podcast or a streaming show that isn't open for potential litigation it, that, that's not vulnerable to these predatory assholes right and and what they're doing is just they found this this loophole in this way to work that is legal uh legally supported extortion yeah, that you know that this is just a straight up shakedown that they uh, they have figured out how to do within the the 
the context of the patent system. And now we got to fight. Uh, they, they know that the litigation is a fortune. And what they're banking on is you'll just pay them to protect you from them. Or they'll either break off a piece or they'll own a piece. You will essentially go, here's a percentage of my business that you can own in lieu of this mountain of cash known as, you know, $1.5 million that it's caught. It's going to cost. First off, I'm already into it. I love this phrase to the tune of $50,000. I'm 50 grand in just trying to get the venue moved. Now, what 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 do you know about? Uh, you know, just because we know that the the name of the 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 entity is Personal Audio, I've received letters, coercive letters from them, uh, telling me that I'm in violation of this license. Many podcasters have. We've talked about it before. I think a lot of guys, you know, just assumed it would go away. They didn't take it seriously because not unlike you, you look at this thing and your first thought is this is ridiculous. And then a few minutes later, you're like, this is this fucking serious, right? Because they're doing this. Yeah, I mean, I know it doesn't make sense to us intellectually, and it doesn't seem fair but then all of a sudden you're like well you got to prove that so now right. what what do you understand about what's happening can you talk about how much they want so we we can know as other podcasters well, as we support you because you're the guy on the front lines yeah you know what, what exactly are they asking for uh the first thing they asked for i believe is three million dollars <laughs> <laughs> I know you do they're, comedy yeah, here, but you haven't had that kind of laugh in a while. Right? <laughs> they're starting a little high. What the they, fuck? Uh, they started with three million dollars, and what they didn't count on is the power of the pod. Right? That they messed with the wrong dude and yeah. or dudes. Right? Because what they said is normally they're going after Hewlett Packard. Right? And they don't have. A microphone and a platform mm-hmm. they have a room full of attorneys and consultants mm-hmm. and things get quietly settled but they don't have a pulpit right and i think they made a miscalculation in going after me and us yeah and that we can rally the troops yeah other guys have to pay up or go to go 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 to the, go to court or do whatever they have to do we can and it's something we talked about before and it's what what i love about what we're doing and in in a way I feel like it defines and embodies exactly what we're all here for. We all formally work for NBC right. and Viacom and Coca-Cola and Upjohn and right. Pepsi and everything else. And, and we all broke away and said, we want to we have our own unfiltered voice right. spread out. Yeah. And some voices are serious and some are right. And some are left and some are everything in between. But the point is, is all the guys who got into podcasting or were pushed into podcasting or found podcasting said, I want to say what I want to say when I want to say it to the people who want to hear it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we all set off to do. Mm -hmm. And now the man has re-entered our world. This is the in this form, the worst form. Right. And we all said thugs we're breaking away from the man you know i'm not working in terrestrial radio you're not working terrestrial radio we've broken away from the man to do our own thing and the man has reintroduced himself into our our little utopia but in the form of 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 mafia tactics i mean used to be the man would be like hey if you go with us we're going to put a commercial on the air we're going to get behind you this guy they don't want to get behind anything they want to rip us off right and you know as i've said to people 
like I said to uh, a friend of mine who's going through a divorce, and he uh, he said, they went, you know, $30,000 a month child support. Can you believe it? And I said, what? And he said, can you believe it? And I said, well, you know you've arrived. Yeah. And, you know, every time somebody says, how pissed are you? Or how upset are you? Or how dismayed are you? I just go... Well, you know you've arrived. Yeah. You you know you're it's official now. Podcasting's real. Right. That's what my partner said. He we're said, being sued. Right. That that it must mean that we're 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 legit. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. I and I, I, I agree with you, but it's it's just it's what what stands in the I think what 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 is in the balance of, of what happens here though is that the reason why all podcasters and, and people that listen to podcasts need to get behind this fight is that if it isn't one, I, now the EFF has also filed a re-exam, which you know, who knows what will happen with that, but that's good news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of my uh, listeners donated to that, and that's in the process. The The patent that's in question here is being re-examined. And now if it if it is enough to snuff with the patent uh, organization, you know they will shut the thing down, but that could take a long time. So that's one yes. area of, of defense. Now, you're the guy in the trenches here, and, and your lawyers are going to fight this thing, hands well, on. Well, uh, they are, and, and I think... It's, again, very symbolic of what we're trying to do and and ultimately incredibly American in its message and that these bullies, you know, a few hundred years ago was England. Yeah. Now it's patent trolls. Right. They're going to come over here and try to impose their will. And we got a little ragtag group here, but they have underestimate it is it is like taxation that is it is inappropriate taxation and we are going to band together and we're going to fight and we're going to win and there's no doubt that they had no idea the power of what we do our audience the dedication of our audience and that they bit off more than they can chew and they're going to at some point realize this was a horrible move because i think as we all band together as we get the message out you know as I make the rounds and do the publicity, as you do that, yeah. as you talk to your audience, as everyone else in the podcasting community communicates with their audience, there's going to be a wave here. And once I think America wakes up and finds out what these guys are up to, they're going to lose the court battle of popularity for sure yeah, i mean I they're gonna that, they're gonna be looked at as scumbags well the, i well i think they already are in a lot of circles and i do hope that awareness has been raised but you know the president knows about it people know about this shit but it's one of those miserable things where you know they shouldn't be allowed to bully the little guy if if, if samsung and apple want to you know fight over their browser design right. that's legitimately patented that's fine but for them to be able to just take existing patents and shake little guys down because they can't afford to defend them themselves i mean the patent system was put into place to protect uh entrepreneurship protect inventors protect all this stuff but these guys have figured out a way to get around all that and just use it to extort yeah and again you know in attempt to rally rally the troops whether you're a fan of mine or not that's not the, my point my point is is <laughs> if, if i go down that is going to open Oh, They're going to yeah. see dollar signs yep. and they'll just go to iTunes and they'll look at the top 200 yep. iTunes podcasts and yep. they'll just start going down the line. 
they have no idea. I don't think they have any idea how much any of us really make. And I think that's where you get a $3 million figure. I think that they've made an assumption that all podcasters are making a living, which isn't necessarily true. So if the, if you if we don't fight this through you and however possible... That what's to stop them from just demanding, you know, we're just writing a series of of a thousand letters or emails to podcasters who have don't have a pot to piss in. They're in their closet doing it. Right. And they're saying you can't do it. You can't do it unless you give us a grand, two grand, five grand. I mean, they it's they they won't even admit they won't even say what kind of money they want. They will with the letters. You know, you're in a lawsuit. So there was a definite number. But with the letters, they were like, we need to talk. Right. And it's like, well, what what is the licensing fee? Well, yeah, well, yeah, we'll figure that out. Well, what the fuck? Yeah, no, I imagine it'll be some sort of sliding scale. They'll just go, how much money do you produce or what do we think you're producing or your worth is? And then we'll just take 25% of that or whatever. I'm 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 sure they'll adjust it so that they're they take money from everybody for doing nothing. For doing because this guy was a failed fucking inventor and his machine didn't get made, these predatory lawyers turn these inventors out like hookers and they 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 say like, you know, we're going to make you some money. You just got to be the face of this thing. Yeah. You you're this you created podcasting. But I mean, it, it's a lot like almost everything in this country eventually yeah. which yeah. is somebody with good intentions at some point a hundred years ago says there needs to be a law Protecting. against to protect yeah. fill in the blank yeah and lawyers sit around and try to figure out okay this law was made with the best of intentions now how can i use that law to line my pockets that's and right. that's basically what's going on all here. right so what are we doing how, how is it going to work you've set up a, de- a defense fund right yeah. um what what i'm going to do is uh fund anything.com forward slash patent troll um you can go there donate what you will what you like we're going to try to do a thing and i'm going to ask that my fellow podcasters put up a reward of some kind an incentive of some kind so that Everyone can get involved. So everyone's not an Adam Carolla fan, but, but, right. but there's a lot of Mark Marin fans out there, especially sure. listening right now. Sure. Yeah. And maybe you can offer some incentive. They okay. come in, they pet your cat if they give you a hundred bucks. <laughs> I, was, I can barely pet my cat, but yeah, okay. Um, and we'll, we'll raise the money. And what I'm going to do is... I'm going to use as much of the money for this fighting patent trolls. Hopefully we raise more than we need and whatever's left over will just go into either some general podcasting defense slush fund or just go to make a wish foundation uh-huh. or up my nose. Uh-huh. I really oh, haven't, haven't, decided yeah. <laughs> haven't decided yet. haven't decided yet. Start a career in cocaine now. <laughs> it, well, either way, we're going to beat back the trolls. What happens after that? <laughs> Right. All right. So it's fundanything.com slash patent troll. I will figure out an incentive, but I, I do want want to reach out to my audience and say that, look, it, what we did before when we raised money for the EFF is we we, we created grassroots action and, and they chose it as, as a cause that they could get behind and, and, a, and a reexamination of this patent was filed. And that's in process now. That's that's one sort of uh, uh, front of defense. And now. Yeah. And, and, I, and I should. Fun anything is not nobody's profiting right from this thing. Nobody's right. got getting their vig or wetting their beak or right. like right. fun anything's not going. You guys raise all the money you want. We'll take ten percent. They're not doing anything. We're not taking anything. It's all going 
to fight the lawyers. Right. And I, you know, and I trust you. And we, you know, we just, we got to trust in this, that in this action, in that this, this has to be stopped. And you're yes. the guy fighting it. And, and your lawyers are going to fight it. And you got good lawyers. You like them? Yeah. Okay, good. As much as you can so, like lawyers. <laughs> They, they are necessary sometimes. Fundanything.com slash patent troll. I'll figure out an incentive, but right now the incentive really is uh, to stop this 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 particular patent troll. The incentive then, is to hear Mark Marin for free twice a week. Right. To, 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 to enable us all to continue doing what we're doing uh, without being uh, extorted, shaken down, or stopped uh, by legal action that is is completely uh, without foundation, I think. Yes. Thanks, Adam. We'll, 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 we're going to do it. We're going to push it through. We're going to let's beat. Let's win this thing, Mark. Team I, spirit. I, I am. I, I, I love the way this feels. <laughs> I, I really do. I, I said, um, a, it, it'll put podcasting on the map. But b, I love the idea that no matter what our politics are. We all agree on this and we all respect each other and we all agree that we're going to band together and fight together. And I just love that camaraderie. No, it's great because, you know, honestly, this is a bipartisan thing. This Absolutely. is just this is just bad for fucking business. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll do anything I can to try to stop it. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you. Uh, Billy Conley in just a minute. Billy Conley is an electric performer. He's a man with more spirit and charisma than, than you, you're likely to see uh, in, in mortals. And uh, you know, I talked to Billy a bit about, uh, about a breakfast we had at the Aspen Comedy Festival and where I just was, I was being my own aggravated, neurotic, mopey self and, and, and Billy just filled me with fucking juice effortlessly. Uh, we talk a little bit about, uh, towards the end of this interview, about his recent sort of uh, uh, battle with uh, Parkinson's disease. Uh, he's got a, a handle on it. And he seems to be doing okay. And, and uh, you know, it was, a, it was an honor. It was an honor to talk to Billy Connolly. Billy's uh, quite a character. And, uh, you know, I'm glad we got to have this conversation before his, uh, his, most, uh, his most recent tour. He's going out. He's doing some dates. Uh, he's doing some dates uh, here in town. You can go to uh, BillyConnolly.com to uh, check those tour dates. He's going to be in, uh, doing some select uh, dates here in the U.S., and I believe he's going to New Zealand. And, uh, again, thrilling for me to see, uh, to see Billy again. He's a, he's, he's a real Buddha, folks. So let's go now to me and uh, the, uh, the aspiring knight. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that. He's not really. Billy Connolly. What the fuck? Now, do you remember? Here's my memory of you from personal experience. Aspen Comedy Festival. Yes, I remember you telling your life story. <laughs> On stage, but do you remember eating breakfast with me? I saw you the next day after my show. You were Jerry Lewis was there. I think, yeah, he was there, but I didn't talk to him. But I was at breakfast by myself, and you were eating by yourself, and I was uh, being mopey and miserable. And I and you said, "Come on over and sit down and have breakfast." And then you just you just looked at me. You said hello, and you filled me up with Connolly energy. Hooray! Oh my God! Within minutes, the world was a different place, <laughs> and I couldn't understand where the energy and the charisma was coming from. I don't understand it either. <laughs> Bobcat Goldthwait said I should be fed into the water supply. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was just like I was—I I didn't know why I was upset about anything anymore <laughs> after having breakfast with you. Well, your life sounded so good the previous night. 
<laughs> it did not sound good. It did. Know, what were you doing up there? What year was that, dude? Do you know? I think I was with Eric Idle. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he had gone up to see somebody and asked me did I want to come along. I'd, I'd, it was my first comedy festival. I'd never been to one. I'd avoided them. Yeah. I uh, I can uh, relate to that uh, exactly. Uh, sometimes you just wanna you just wanna leave. I find that uh, you sometimes uh, sitting around talking to other comedians, depending on the show you had, uh, could go either way in terms of how you feel. Yeah, there's there's a terrible strain to keep up with everybody. <laughs> there's always some bastard trying to be funnier than everybody else and then everybody gets onto it and yeah. oh god I hate the atmosphere yeah and then it's sort of like I gotta get in this I gotta you know it's a big yeah. cockfight. <laughs> who's gonna who's gonna win who's got the funniest thing I never felt like I won those things no I've never won them yeah there's always someone quicker and more clever and it's a pain in the ass absolutely and I've never been to a roast and I would never dream of going to a roast well that's not really your thing I mean you're you're not a you know you're not a joke guy you're a story guy mm. So it's not, you know, to expect you to... And also roast, it's like, what, what are you just going to go up there and, and shit on somebody, you know, for five minutes? That's the skill of that. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but you you were always long form, right, from the beginning. Absolutely. I, and I, I like ordinary people being funny. Yeah. You know, non-comedians being funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like this morning, I, I was in the hotel in my, with my daughter and my son texted me he, yeah. he, a friend had seen me in at breakfast and he'd said enjoying your breakfast and i was trying to work out how he knew i was there yeah and we were just wrapping away and he said are you having eggs over easy and i said does anybody ever ask for eggs over difficult <laughs> yeah, uh, and, yeah and and he and he wrote eggs over reactive <laughs> <laughs> that was your son but, yeah which is a much better line than mine <laughs> And I, I think non-comedians often come up with the, the, the best, funnier stuff. Yeah, I know a lot of funny guys that, uh, that aren't comedians. Uh, and, you know, and, I, and I'm actually happy for them. That, you know, whenever, whenever anybody ever says to me, like, I want to do stand-up, I'm like, okay. You know, uh, knock yourself out. Uh, either it's going to take or it isn't. And if or it takes, someone, someone in a store selling you jeans says, I do stand-up. And okay. you say, no, you don't. You sell jeans. <laughs> it's right. Right. No, no, no. I do it on Friday. I got, I'm doing an open <laughs> mic. I'm doing my second I do it time. in the first, the first Thursday of every month. Right. Does that bother you, though, when, when somebody claims the title of comedian, when clearly they're just you know starting out, maybe trying to do something? It kind of bothers me. Yeah, it kind of bugs me a little. I don't know why. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you why. Because we've spent decades trying to perfect a craft that is a real and genuine thing. And some guy selling you pants is calling you a, himself a comedian because he's done it twice. <laughs> it's a perfectly legitimate reason to be upset. I'm glad there's another person who feels the same as I do. That's all. Oh yeah, I can't stand it. It's like it's not you're not, you're not a comedian because you've been on stage twice. So where where did you grow up? Let's go back. Glasgow, Scotland. I've been there once, and I have to report it was it was the most drunk place I've ever been in my life. It's the second most drunk place, or maybe the third, Liverpool, Newcastle, and Glasgow. Maybe they tie for the most drunk. Is there a yearly competition? Are there yearly numbers on that? The outsiders come in and say, my God, a town with a drink problem. <laughs> exactly. A whole town. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I could, like at the, Late at night in Glasgow, the, the number of people I saw puking on the street as if it was nothing. Well-dressed people. Yeah, just like, bleh, like, that's the way we end our night. Now it's time that's for right. curry. Uh, that's that's uh, <laughs> Women in spa. Clothes. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> yeah, it's just another it's night. Extraordinary, isn't it? And now there's a thing you go in with, like maybe you get twenty pounds to spend. Yeah. You just give it to the barman and say, "Give me stuff." 
<laughs> yeah, just take care of it. Yeah, so he gives you a paint glass with the green stuff and blue stuff, and they're all oh, on together. Oh, really? Yeah. So you just leave it on them? Yeah, they're trying to make it illegal, but there's nothing illegal about it. <laughs> but do you drink still? No, I haven't had a drink for 30 years. 30 years? Yeah. What was that last night like? <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a good one. Whoa! <laughs> I remember I was in a fight. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. It. And that's all you remember. It was in Malaga in Spain. I was doing one of those corporate gigs. Yeah. And I got shit-faced and I fought with somebody. And I remember I had his hair in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> I had hair in my fingers <laughs> in the morning. I said to my roadie, I think that'll do me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it. The least you can do is remember it if you've been in a fight. Right, not just see hair and, and, yeah. and fucked up knuckles and go like, <laughs> that must have been bad. <laughs> <laughs> is the other guy okay? I've no idea who he was. <laughs> Who's the other guy? <laughs> no, the roadie was trying to fill me in on what had happened and I said, shh, don't tell me. Yeah, don't tell please, me. please. Let me just stop and if it comes back to me in the next few decades, I'll... I'll apologize. Absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that's one of the signs. You know, like when you've been drinking a lot, you you, get, you black out from time to time, and then slowly it comes back, it drifts. Oh, see, oh, oh remember. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I was on the yeah, table. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, my trousers off. Right, I remember right, that. Right. I remember swinging in a chandelier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then after a while, you get blackouts, and they don't come back. Yeah. And then when you drink, they come back. So you get two memories. You get sure. a sober memory and a, yeah, and yeah. a drunk memory. So right. you think, my God, my personality's splitting. I've become too... Oh, I better get out of here. <laughs> so if you don't pay attention to those signs, you're in deep shit. You know? Yeah, you are. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah so, so I paid attention. Sober memory and drunk memory. It's like, you know, we, when you start drinking at the bar and someone comes up to you and goes, how you doing, Billy? You're like, who the fuck are you? And two drinks away, you're like, hey, hey how you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's another thing there. When you go home and everybody seems old, when you go back to your hometown yeah. and, and the friends you had, you think, God, he's looking old. Okay. <laughs> and I was speaking to the singer in ACDC about it. Brian Johnson? Yeah. I and fucking he, love ACDC. And he, oh, I do too. Is he a friend of yours? Yeah. He'd gone back to Newcastle on holiday and he, was, he went to the local bar and he was speaking to a guy. And halfway through the conversation, he says to the guy, I think I know. He said, I think I went to school with your boy. He said, it was me, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well it's very weird that you know you you don't really know how old you've you've gotten or how old you look until you run into to somebody you haven't seen in 15 years absolutely you know someone like, who was in your class at school sure sure and like sadly like you know there's women that i've dated like 20 years ago <laughs> who i've haven't seen in 15 20 years and i see them like what is happening what it, like what? Where what happened? She got some terrible disease. No, she's just older. You you know she just aged just yeah, like you. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, what? How am I doing? You know, if if yeah. you're there, am I there too? Are we just old people now? Yeah. So if you meet them in a bar, you rush into the bathroom and look in the mirror. And yeah. Say, oh my no, god. No, no, I don't, not, I don't look like them. I don't look like them. Not, not me. Not yet. I can't uh, I can't trust my perception of myself. I, I trust pictures and how I look on television. I trust liars. Yeah? yeah? What, oh, yeah. Oh, Billy, one. you're looking amazing. Thanks very much. Yeah. That'll do me. Yeah. That, oh, good. That's exactly right. That's what makes you a performer. I'll take it. I'll take I, it. I'm not even going to question it. It's like when you have management or agents or people that, you know, you're being paid to lie. Keep it up. <laughs> you're being paid to lie and keep me in work. How would that be? <laughs> Tell me I look great. Tell me I'm a genius and get me work. That's all I That's need. That's right. Give me money and yeah. get out of my face. <laughs> Give me some money. So when you, how did you grow up? What was the situation? Like what were the, what were the folks doing? Yeah, my father was an engineer, 
Like uh, for what, bridges, streets? No, and optical engineering made optical instruments. Oh, really? Yeah, range finders and things like that. Oh, yeah, for the war? Yeah. Wow. And he was in the Air Force. Wow. For how long? He, well, he was in the Air Force for the war, but he, afterwards he stayed doing that job until he retired. Uh, like war, like World War Two war? Yes. Did he fly or just he was on the ground? No, and, he was a ground crew. Yeah? In India. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Do, you, did he, do you remember that? Yeah, I remember him coming home. He was going uh, I would be four when he came back. And uh and your mom? Yeah, she was a nurse. She was a nurse? Yeah. Did was she around? No, she split when I was four. Oh, the same year that your dad came back. Yeah. <laughs> so they just switched. No mistake. <laughs> this is a clear out. <laughs> yeah, I guess he I guess she's off now. Yeah, she yeah. Met, she met a guy and bolted. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I don't blame her at all, you know. Yeah. Well, she was living in a slum in wartime, and Germans dropping shit in the town, and she just somebody came out. along and said, "I love you," and she was an eighteen-year-old and went, "Yeah, you'll do." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we leave this town? Off they went, and it lasted. You know, she brought up a family of four. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you have a relationship with them? I know them, but I don't know them very well. You're half brothers. Half brothers. A half brother and three half sisters. That's a trip, man. Yeah. Was that a thing that you had to go back to figure out, or did you always know it? I can, well, actually, I met my mother at a gig. What, how, I, did, what, I didn't know her, you know. I thought she was looking for an autograph or something. Oh, really? Yeah. What year, Like what year, when you were just starting out, was it? I was I was in the 60s. Really? Yeah. I and was, you hadn't seen her or I heard from her? I was married and everything, you know. And, uh-huh. uh, then I was playing. I came off stage and she said, hey, Billy Conley. And I said, yeah, reaching for my pen, you know. Yeah. And she said, I'm your mother. I thought, oh, my God. God, holy shit. I'll tell you a weird thing that happened. There's a, a, a playwright called Peter McDougall, mm-hmm. and in one of his plays, he wrote, you never forget your mother's smell. Yeah. And I, and I always appealed to me that line, and then and, and so when I gave my mother a hug, and I, I, I ended up with my lips on her neck, and I, and I smelled her, and he's right. Really? Yeah. From when you were three or four years old? Yeah. Ding! Really? Yeah. Did you cry? No. Oh. As no. a matter of fact, I, I came away with a pseudo funny line. I, there was a lounge bar right next to where we were standing. I said, yeah. "We better get out of here. Let's go into the lounge." And she said, "I hope you don't drink too much." And I hadn't seen the woman for twenty six <laughs> years or something. Was your father drinking? I said a birthday card would have been nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've regretted that for many years. Uh, after uh, after what? However old you, twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Hope you don't drink too much. <laughs> I think what you're worried about me. <laughs> you but kept that well hidden. But I, but I guess that's sort of a greeting in Scotland, isn't it? I hope you don't drink too much. Well, that's funny. My daughter, Cara, my oldest daughter, when she, she went to Glasgow University from Los Angeles, and she said she was amazed that when she met other kids her own age, they wouldn't, they didn't say, like, what are your hobbies? What do you do at night? They would say, where do you drink? Yeah, yeah. Which pub? Yeah. Yeah, which one are you going to? Absolutely. It's the whole social life. I remember being in Ireland and, I, and I, I was saying to someone there, I'd seen all the alcohol advertising on television and the billboards and all that. And I said, it's the same as Scotland. They said, and he explained it to me, this Irishman. He said, in every other society, you get dance halls, you get the town hall, you get theatres, movie theatres and all that in town. And on the periphery of that, you have alcohol. Yeah. He said, but in Scotland and Ireland, you have alcohol. <laughs> and on the periphery of that, you have theatres and cinemas. <laughs> That's the centre of the totally, culture. Yeah, totally reversed it. <laughs> Which makes it very difficult to perform in all of those situations. That's right. And in all of the, in Liverpool, yeah. Newcastle and Glasgow, the three main drinking centres of Britain. 
They seem to have something against coats and jackets. You see them in the middle of winter, little girls with blouses on, going from bar to bar, and guys with T-shirts with snow in their hair, you know. I think it's because if you lose a number of jackets from, from leaving them at pubs, you learn like, well, I don't want to throw any more money away. I'm going out with my T-shirt. Absolutely. You forget what cloakroom you right. left it in. It'll be cold going, but on the way back, we're not even going to know it. Absolutely. We're not going to feel a thing. Yes. Perfect. Perfect evening out. So when when did you have another job before you started performing? I mean, I was a welder. Really, you wore the helmet and everything. Yeah, in the shipyards. Yeah, and an oil rig. So I worked in uh, Nigeria on an oil rig. How old were you then? Twenty. 22 So was it one of those things where it's like I just got to get the fuck out of the house? I'm going to Africa. Yeah, no, I was fired. I was talking to a guy, another welder in a different bit of the shipyard, and yeah. uh, I was away too long, and I, I got fired for it. Yeah, and I was walking out of the shipyard with my jacket. You know, you know, a welder's been fired because his jacket's untied up with string. You know, the leathers. Yeah, yeah. And I was walking along with my jacket, and the foreman said, "Where are you going?" And I said, oh, "I've been fired." He said, "Oh, did you deserve it?" I said, "Yeah." What'd you do? He said, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "I don't know. I'm going to have a look around." And he said, "Do you want to go to Africa?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "A friend of mine's." Hiring welders for Nigeria. Yeah. So I went. What did you do to get fired? I was just talking to a guy about fishing. Oh. <laughs> and not welding. Not welding. That's what you did to get fired. Yeah. You were not doing your job. Not welding. We were Minus talking about welding. fishing. Yeah. Was, are, you, are you a fisherman? Yes. Still? Yeah, I like fly fishing. But what, what, were, what, what kind of fishing were you doing in Glasgow oh, yeah, back oh, in the well, day? See, Glasgow's a wonderful place in as much as the wilderness starts about three quarters of an hour outside Glasgow. Yeah. So yeah. there's loads of rivers and lakes. And and you were fly fishing then? Was yeah. fly fishing invented in Scotland? Yeah. It was, right? And, well, it was invented in England, I think. Okay. And uh, But a lot of the flies, wet fly fishing was invented in Scotland. Did you make your own flies? No, I've tried, but I'm clumsy. Did you know a guy? Did you have a fly guy? Yeah, I've, I've known many guys who do it. Really? Yeah. As a matter of fact, a friend of my son comes to the house sometimes, and he just sits and does it while he's talking to you. With the little clamp? Yeah. Or he does it by hand? He, he can do it by hand. Really? He even does it with like things like foam rubber, and they work brilliantly, you know. Yeah. He does it just, you know, do you want one? Just pass it over to you. And he just throws you a fly? Yes. Yeah, like it's brilliant. nothing? Yeah. I've always wanted to tie a fly and catch a fish with it. I think there would be a great deal of accomplishment I, in I, that. It seems like a reasonable goal, Billy. It seems like something that could happen for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if it's a shitty fly. You know, the fish doesn't know. You just got to get the fuzz right. <laughs> doesn't matter if the thread holds. Well, that's a, that's a strange thing. Like salmon fishing, they, they, they make these exotic flies, and nobody knows why a salmon goes for it, because it's not supposed to eat in fresh water at all. Yeah. When it comes in from the salt, it's not, uh -huh. so it doesn't eat. So, so nobody that, knows. That's the magic of it. The, the, the theory is that you're irritating it. Just going, oh, shut the fuck up. Ah, get out of my face. This gotcha. thing. Gotcha. <laughs> but like the trick of fly fishing, because I tried it when I was younger, is that that movement. Oh, the casting, yeah. Yeah, that you, like because there, there's a possibility that you'll pop the fly into just a shitty ball of thread. So you'll do it like a whip. Yeah, and pap, and there goes your fly. Yeah. You, just, you just blew it up. All that. Or defoliation, that, or pulling sheep over your head. When you cast backwards. And you, you catch up. Catch up in the tree. I've done it a million times. Yeah, but you've got, you can keep that thing in the air for a while and, oh, and yeah. aim it. Oh, yeah. Because you've been doing it since you were a kid. I pierced my friend's ear. Oh, good. It's a Scottish actor called Paul Young on a boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Splunk. And yeah. he caught him? Yeah. And he kept the fly in for a and few weeks? And the thing weeks, is, he's, really, so he's really sensitive about his ears as well. You know, he thinks they stick out. 
And he you, made me swear not to tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What? So what was the experience like in Africa? Oh, it was lovely. Yeah, yeah. It was very hard work, but it was lovely. What was the job exactly? What were you working on? Well, there was a war on at the time in the Biafra. Okay. And I was there, and it was, and they were, they wanted to finish this oil rig and tow it out to sea before it got damaged by the war. Okay. So the pay was wonderful, and we slaved away and did it. Like, did it have an impression on you? I mean, what were the were the people like? What was you know? Did you go into town? There's a thing that always takes you by surprise in Africa. It's how intelligent people are because they don't look intelligent in as much as they look raggedy arsed. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be down at the docks having a beer because drinking beer is illegal in oil rigs. Right. So you have to come off. So you'll be having a beer, and guy will come along trying to sell you a watch and he'll have a shirt on you that you wonder how he got into it you know there's so many holes in it you wonder how he found the neck of the yeah, thing yeah. to put it on and then you discover we used to play a little game with him but not telling them where we came from so he would say parlez-vous français and go, no 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 yeah yeah and yeah. no 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 and they would go through about five languages <laughs> yeah to try and find you yeah and the guy's got no ass in his pants you know yeah. and he's got one watch to try and sell one battered old dirty watch he's got a hustle but he's got a hustle on yeah. and he's very 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 bright and that's the first thing that strikes you about him is the brightness yeah that happens in india too where people beg all the time and and you feel sorry for them and and it's a waste of time feeling sorry for people what happens after a while is you get very proud of them yeah because they do this every day you know you, you get proud of their achievement of making it through every day when you visit india because i want to go there did you did you enjoy that oh yeah it's lovely it's a great place where'd you go the last time I was there, I was in Bangalore. And th- th- I'll tell you this. Shooting which movie? Uh, no, th- this wasn't a movie. It was a television show. I, I did a show called uh, Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah. Where they trace your heritage, your, uh-huh. your family and stuff. And I didn't know I had an Indian connection. But Do you? My, my, yeah, my great, 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 great grandfather married an Indian woman. Really? Yeah. And did you go meet that extended family? Is that how it No, worked? we couldn't find anybody. The nearest we could find on the legal sheets was about 1980. A guy died in Calcutta. He was an engine driver. <laughs> and a distant relative. A distant relative, Anglo-Indian, yeah. Huh. Did you feel more connected to India? because? Oh, yeah. <laughs> My wife bought me this ring with Ganesh, the Indian deity. I love Ganesh. Yeah. Yeah, I love the elephant. Do you know, I don't know what I don't exactly know what it what it represents, but I like having them around. Yeah, I have a few Ganeshes. I've got a few at home. Yeah, as well. I don't know why. Why are we compelled towards it? Do you know what it means? I have no idea. <laughs> but it's a good looking thing, right? Yeah, elephant I don't believe in the arms. supernatural myself. But you don't believe in it? No, no. What do you, what do you got in place? You got the you got a god in place? No, nothing. Just kind of kind of winging it, taking I, it. I find the world quite interesting without it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, we, who, it's possible to have hope and faith without having uh, some mystical garbage in between. Absolutely. Yeah, people are fascinating. Oh, I think so too. And and, and, and left to their own devices, they come up with much better ideas. Yeah. Like I just did a, a series on death, mm-hmm. a television series in uh-huh. Britain, and we, we came to America and went various places. And, and one of them, in Austin, Texas, we went to a big exhibition of, you know, for undertakers and stuff like that. And one of the the systems uh, instead of regular burial is they've got a suit and i don't know how they do it but they grow mushrooms on on the suit so they put this suit on you when you're dead yeah and mushrooms grow and you become compost uh-huh so okay so no coffin no coffin just no, right in the ground just lying there and and what it does is it, it accelerates the rate of uh, oh, decomposition that's right yeah and then you just immediately become plants that's it huh 
It really appeals to me. Yeah, is that the, is that how you're going to go? Well, I saw a funeral in in Africa in Gambia where where they just they buried the guy vertically in a sheet. Uh-huh. They just did dig a hole and buried him in. That seems to be the normal way, like and, straight up and down. Yeah, and I thought that's really sensible. You know, just a sheet just to to dissolve and become part of the earth that you came from. Yeah, well, the Jews, my people, they do a just a plain wood box. That's right. Yeah, that probably takes a little longer. Yeah, but as I do the Muslims. A plain wood box. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of common ground between the Muslims and Jews. It's just a it's really just a difference of boss guy. It's a, it's a difference of the yeah <laughs> yeah the, the deities are different, but a lot of the the, the a lot of it's the same. The secondary players are yeah. are all the are, are all the same. Yeah, and and they they use a van. There's Ooh. no hearse or anything like that. The Muslims are, just put you in a they take you to the graveyard in a van in your box, and that's it. Yeah, and then they get into the grave with you. <laughs> they, and, really? and and turn you towards Mecca and. So it's a big Fill hole. Up the space, yeah. Huh. And then they come out. Well, I, I think that kind of I, I I find ritual like that interesting because it's really about you know ca- you know maintaining a tradition and it's really about sort of guiding the living through. What that I liked process. about the the Judaism and Islam forms of burial is they both include the family. Yeah. You know, to clean and wash the person and. Yeah, I didn't do that. Say goodbye with my grandfather. I I don't know if I could have. Yeah, I think it. it's slipping away as we live in suburbia. But yeah, well, people don't even die at home anymore. I mean, you know, you, you, you when someone gets older, like, well, we better ship them off. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> ship them off where they can pee himself in peace. Yeah, yeah. where I don't have to clean them up. <laughs> yes, yeah. we'll, we'll show up when we need the final bath. <laughs> 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 wrap him up <laughs> do away with it oh my god do you find yourself thinking about it as i get older i kind of tend to be thinking about it but i'm not morbidly thinking about it at yeah all. yeah I, I refuse to believe it's actually going to happen oh good good yeah yeah because that means i'm not the only one i, I refuse to believe it oh well, i'm going to live forever good for you oh yeah you will now eternal life yeah when, when you think back at your life how old are you now 71. 71? Yeah. So when you think back at it, because I always wonder, because I, you know, my my important memories change, you know, like they they, they switch priorities sometimes yes. as I get older and, and I rethink things or, or I, I figure out what, what had an effect on me. Do you, do you have a, a place you go nostalgically? Not really. I find it changes all the time, just like you. It's just, but it's just moments. Yeah. You, you, you see, oh, those holidays when I was a child, yeah, when know. we stole apples from Mr. McGonagall's orchard. Well, that was about three seconds that took of those eight-week holidays. You know, <laughs> you don't real... remember the holiday at all. No, was that a real thing? Yeah. Mr. McGonagall? Oh, Mr. McGonagall. <laughs> <laughs> Poor bastard <laughs> trying to grow apples in Glasgow. Serves him right. <laughs> <laughs> Come back here, you bastard! <laughs> when his wee dog. How many trees did he have? Three. He had about twelve trees. Like twelve trees. Yeah. That's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. I was going over the wall. Yay! Oh. All those thugs. It's exciting. And we had them up our pullovers, you know, the, yeah. the lumpy pullover with the apples. And we'd take one bite and throw it away. And it's <laughs> yeah, horrible assholes. Yeah. <laughs> so what, how how did you evolve into comedy? So you come back from Nigeria. Well, I had I had I had played the banjo. I saw Pete Seeger on television, and I thought, oh, I must get one of them. And mm. I got a banjo and learned it. And I was I was doing folk clubs in my spare time. Pete Seeger. Yeah. And you got oh yeah, we were talking before. You saw this old K guitar, the Sears guitar. Yeah. And uh, and what did the catalog say? What oh you- yeah, Pete Seeger's book. It said you don't need an expensive banjo to play well. 
uh, can be equally as well played on, a, on an inexpensive, a cheap banjo. Sears and Roebuck carry them. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I wonder who they are. Yeah. And I ended up wandering around record stores looking for albums of Sears and Roebuck, these guys who play cheap banjos. And the guys are looking through the catalogue saying, no, I can't find it. They'd never heard of Sears and Roebuck either. No, 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 they didn't have it over there. Yeah. No. But then I, I, I was doing the folk clubs in the evening, and, and after I'd been in Africa, I went to the Channel Islands, Jersey, and the English Channel to yeah. work in a power station there. And I was doing very well in the evening, and I thought, why am I working? I'm going to give this a bash. You were doing well with the banjo and yeah, singing. Uh-huh. What kind of songs were you singing? Appalachian, mostly. Really? Uh, and funny stuff. You still play? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you wait, so you're singing Appalachian folk songs? Yeah. To uh, to British people? Yeah, they loved it. <laughs> yeah? It was great. You know, and then I, 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 well, most of the songs are kind of banal. They're mostly about guys called Willie who murder their girlfriends. Yeah. Or they're about chicken pie or how do you get a raccoon out of a tree? Yeah. Simple and, stuff. Yeah. So I so between songs I would be funny. Yeah. And the, the funny get longer and longer and the songs get shorter and shorter. And what was the style? You would reflect on the song with your I own would experience? Be funny about the song or uh-huh. whatever. And I remember the very first one I ever did, the first song I ever sang in public was called St. Brendan's Isle by a guy called Jimmy Driftwood. Uh-huh. He's from Oklahoma, I think. And I I forgot I panicked and forgot it halfway through. Yeah. And then I, I said, well, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the words, but it's, and I started to tell them the story. It's about this guy, and, he, and, he, and, and they started to laugh, and I thought, ooh, me likey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it went down much better than the song would have ever done. <laughs> yeah, well, the connection's different. Yeah. It's very immediate, you and know? I thought, ooh, I like this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. And, and you, so, what was the song about? It was about St. Brendan sailing from Ireland to America, and uh-huh. then he, he finds an island which turns out to be a whale. And so you were just riffed on that. And so I just riffed on it, yeah. And how long uh, until you put the banjo down? Oh, it was years, but, but the, the, the space continued to grow between songs. And that sort of, but you know, I think that's important, a, 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 a tradition and difference between, you know, American stand-up and... And certainly, uh, you know, some, you know, I know for a fact, Irish stand up is that, you know, that type of, of storytelling is, is part of the culture. Oh, it yes. It wasn't an unusual thing. I mean, I knew that when I first saw you. I don't remember the first time I saw you, but I did see you when you did that Westbeth run in maybe 2001. Oh, or, yeah. Was yes. it 2000 yes. or something? Like yes. 15 years ago. And I saw that, that, and I, and I noticed it also with the, you know, guys like, uh, Tommy Tiernan and and and, and I love Tommy. Yeah, that they're they're and and also the audiences in in the UK and, and in Ireland. I noticed, and also in in Scotland. I went to Scotland and I performed a horrendous show about my divorce, but I knew it was a story and it was a one story in an hour. Yes. And I was nervous that they wouldn't sort of relate to my weird neurotic Jewish ways. But the fact that it was story form. They they locked in immediately. Of course they do, and they do it all over the world. Like you can be in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, talking yeah. about your Glasgow school days, and they get it. Yeah, everybody had school days. Everybody, the fat guy in the class. Everybody, the funny guy in the class. Everybody fell in love. Right. That age. So you, they get it. So you never ever thought, yeah. You know, I guess at the time, I mean, when you were playing, you know, folk music and and doing this, uh, because like people like um, Ramblin' Jack Elliott and oh and, yeah, I mean, there there was a there was a, a there's a tradition of this. You know, of course, kind of, there is. Arlo Guthrie. Yeah, yeah. Just telling the story through the music. What was the scene like in 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 where you were working? Were there were you part of a musician scene at that time? Yeah, yeah. It was all that folky 
lounge bar stuff. But I always found that folkies were, were a little too earnest. Oh, yeah, that kind of folky. Yeah, they didn't like my kind of folkies at all. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys who drink real beer and wear corduroy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did, yeah. Did you see that? Uh, did you see the Lewin Davis movie yet? Yes, did, I did. did that, that guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, that was all based on Dave Van Ronk. Van Van Ronk, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the mayor of McDougal Street. Did you know that guy? Hey, I met him. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was amazing. Yeah, he's the guy that sat around saying, you know, saying, Dylan stole my shit. That's I, right, he did. Because Dylan recorded House of the Rising Sun, and it was the big hit of his show. Yeah, right, right. Him and Ramblin' Jack, just, you know, their whole life is, Dylan stole my shit. Yeah. Yeah. But but Von Rock, I don't know if he was a storyteller. He seemed like a pretty serious guy. Oh, cat. yeah, he was. I oh, saw yeah? him, yeah. Very funny. Very when, nice. when did you see him? I saw him in the Los Angeles on that in the 70s or the 60s or what? oh no no that would be d about uh, the 90s oh really yeah so he was out doing it where like McCabe's or something McCabe's that's oh, exactly yeah. where I saw him yeah and he was on Ramblin' Jack oh he was yeah yeah that was the Dylan Stole My Shit tour <laughs> that's right <laughs> in search of Bob Dylan tour <laughs> Were you finding you know, financial success as a folkie? Well, I was getting by, and then I I joined up. I had a band called the Humble Bums, and and uh, Jerry Rafferty joined, and we ended up just the two of us. Jerry Rafferty, yes. Baker Street, and stuck in the middle with you and all that. Yeah, Jerry Rafferty was Steeler's Wheel. Yeah, that was his band. Yeah, God, why didn't I know that? That's right. But Baker Street, man, I remember when that came out because I was in like junior high, and that sax solo was yes. haunting, man. Yeah, you're like, oh my God. That's a beauty. Where are we? Yeah, man. And the funniest thing is I remember doing an interview about Jerry in Scotland. We had long parted and and, uh, and that had been out. And I said, I guarantee you Jerry wrote every note of that saxophone solo. And then there was a big fight with Ralph Ravenscroft and Jerry as to whose music that was. And Jerry won it. Yeah, he did. He wrote that solo. He did? Yeah. Who's John Ravenscroft? He was the guy who played the... Oh. Oh, really? And he was claiming I just riffed that? Yeah. And Jerry was like, fuck you, man. No, I'm you the one didn't. that went up to you and went, do, 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 do. can you do that? Yeah. Are you still friends with Jerry? He's dead. Oh, that's hard then. Yeah. No, it's difficult to be friendly with a dead. Well, you know, you got memories. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but when, I texted him on his deathbed. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, it was lovely and he was laughing. It must, he must be dead about three or four years now. Oh, yeah. man. But you were friends up until the end there? Yeah. What were you texting him? Oh, we, we, was, we were being funny and memories, you know, and, and I was talking about smoking dope, using pages of the Bible as papers. Did you? We did that, yeah. Just because you could? I had seen it in a movie. <laughs> was there any guilt on anyone's part? Not a bit. <laughs> I don't know, Vigeri, he was thinking a lot about heaven towards the end. Oh, he was? Yeah. It's interesting, I, I think, what people think about towards the end. Uh, there was an open, a definite disappointment in his voice when he was asking me about it. Do you believe it? And I said, nope. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was quite looking forward to it, I think. <laughs> so I don't know why he was looking forward to it, because we were both brought, brought up Catholics, and I'd never met a priest on, on earth who could tell you anything about heaven. Yeah. But they knew every square inch of hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, because yeah. that, that's where everyone goes. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Robert Burns said he can only presume it's because they've had a guided tour of the place. <laughs> when I started Catholic school, Sister Philomena was a headmistress, uh -huh. and she had pictures of hell on her office wall. Oh, really? Yeah. From I, what? I, I guess it was from Dante's Inferno. An illustration of in yeah, Dante's Inferno. Yeah. 
Yeah, just sort of like this is what happens. So if you don't listen to me, because God's dead and it's your fault. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's the bit that, that always got me. That is that is true. They I never, died for me, but I hadn't been born yet. I didn't. I never heard it put that way. Uh, like you know, God is dead and it's your fault. I mean, like I get Jesus died for our sins, but I guess in my mind, because I didn't grow up with it, you know, God is God. Jesus is this other guy. And then there's the Blessed Trinity, yeah. the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yeah. they're all one. Yeah. But occasionally they'll say, he gave his only begotten son. You say, wait a minute, he's the same guy. Yeah. Connolly, stop it. Yeah, oh yeah. Pay attention and sit up straight. Yeah. No you? logic allowed in school. Don't slouch, sit up straight, that's the point. So you never got the terror? No. Oh, good for you. That's, that's good, man. You must have had some fairly uh, well-formulated well, darkness already. <laughs> There's time yet. Yeah, There's time yeah. for terror. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it never sunk in. No, I've, I have great difficulty with the supernatural. I'm listening to anybody whiffling on about it. Yeah. I like the word whiffling. That's going into the uh, lexicon now. <laughs> whiffling on. <laughs> yeah, I kind of I, I tire very quickly of people whiffling on about spiritual things, you know. Because they're just making it up as they go along. They have to. Because it's made up originally. Of course they're, it is. They're riffing on something that's already bullshit. Absolutely. And it leads to all sorts of anti-Semitic behavior and anti-Islamic behavior. Yeah, I think in, in, in its essence, you know, de devoid of, of of sort of agenda, that, you know, it makes people feel better. And I don't really have a problem with that if they're, you know, they stay on, stay decent people. You know, you got, if you're going to hang your hope on something and you have yeah. a certain amount of control over it, all right, there you go. But it's weird talking to somebody who believes you're going to hell. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And who are they to know? And mm. if they're having that conversation with that tone of voice with you, they're obviously taking you there. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> They've got pictures on the wall, too. Yeah, yeah, they're recruiting. for <laughs> <laughs> They're hiring. Uh, so... When was the transition? Like you, you were working with Rafferty and you guys were having a good time? Yeah, we split and uh, we split very amicably split, you know, because it was getting awkward. He was getting... When I joined him, I thought I would become a better songwriter and musician. And I did, but yeah. so did he. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. He stayed 100 yards ahead of me all uh -huh. the time. Uh -huh. and, uh, and I was getting funnier. At the show and enjoying so, it, and so he, he was he, he was, was sitting behind me more and more, waiting for me to finish, so as he could do his next work of genius. So and there were two of you competing. You, yeah, you, you were doing the the funny, and yeah. he was like, "All right, I can show him up with this." Yeah, with equal success. Uh -huh. you know, we were drawing people who were attracted to both of us. Oh, that's you know? a, that's it was a, lovely. That's great. So we decided at Queen Street Station one day. I said to him, "You know, it's it's getting a bit awkward now, isn't it? You know." me getting funnier and you getting better at the songwriting and the music. Maybe we should split. And he said, that's a good idea. Not, But amicably. Yeah. That and the following day, he said to me, you know, it's getting kind of awkward with you getting funnier and me getting better song. Maybe we should split. It was his idea. <laughs> Along with the sax solo. Yeah. Everything's his idea. Yeah. <laughs> and Dave, so we split and, and I went solo and he formed a Steelers Wheel. And what was the original set for you? I mean, and who? what was your idea? Like, because it seems to me that, you know, you speak in, uh, in, in, in uh, uh, an everyman's language. Yeah. That your, you know, your appeal is that you, you tell stories that, that everybody can relate to. And, and was that just from training or was that from intent? It just happened naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
And what was the primary uh, venue? And it also with the with the shipyard working, you know, because uh-huh. you know when you're in a big shipyard, yeah, or a big factory, and the door closes, everybody immediately becomes very profane. Yeah, you know, yeah, deaf yeah. and blind and, yeah. and bloody fucking this yeah. and that. And and they they don't tell jokes. They they are funny to one another, or funny sarcastic. Or funny. Yeah, taking the piss. Yeah, that yeah. was my training. So that was the training, and then at that time, what are we talking about when you really started to do solo stand-up? Early 70s? Early 70s. So was that shocking in the UK, what you were doing? Yes. Publicly? Yeah. But, Taking but, the shipyard to the people? Yeah, it was considered very <laughs> unique, and it was unique. Nobody uh-huh. had, People have often said to me, but guys, oh, he's really funny. He should be in the stage, that guy. And I yeah. like to think of myself as the guy who did it. You know, like the... In my accent, it was even weird. You couldn't get television or radio work because I spoke for such a strong Scottish accent. It's okay now. It's okay now, and I like to think I was part of the breakthrough, but the everybody then spoke like that. I mean, because when I'm in Scotland, I don't know what... I know they're speaking English, and I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck? I got one word. I got one word out of that. Yeah, it's kind of odd, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but you used to talk like that. Well, the thing is, we don't move our lips when we speak like that. Yeah, you speak like a like, like a, a postage box, and you you talk like that. Yeah, right, exactly. And and, and there's a nasal quality that comes in like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does it get worse in different regions of Scotland? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> For instance, in Aberdeenshire, where my house now is, a yeah. Scottish house, like hello is fat like. What? Yeah. What does that mean? Is that what like? What is your life oh, like? Wh- See, that's it. That's the code. What like? That's hello. Yeah. What like? Okay. That's it. And a, a boy is is a what is he? A loon. A loon. And a girl is a quine. So who hit the boy is fofrap a loon. But what is, what what are you speaking? Who hit the boy? Scots language. But what's a loon? Why a loon? I don't know. <laughs> quine comes from queen. I think that's a fofrap a quine. Oh my God! But it's English, kind of. Yeah. But it's Scottish. It's not a different language. No, it's not a language. It, well, it is a Scots language, but people often mistake it for slang. But it's it's what the Scots made of Anglo-Saxon, huh? When it came along. Now, what about uh, the the sense of Scottish pride? Of uh, you know the the do, do, how do you feel about it? In the sense of, do you were you ever part of the idea that it should be you know separate? No, I've never been part of it. Okay. No, it's it's I I don't know. I think it was the whole hippie thing, the sixties and the seventies. The idea that we could get together, mm-hmm. I find really appealing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think if more of the world got together, right, we'd be in much better shape. But you got no problem with the uh, the queen and whatnot. I have no problem at all. <laughs> have you met her? Oh yeah. Well, uh, and how was that? <laughs> it was fun. Did she say I like your filthy jokes? It's kind of strange because you 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 don't speak to her. You you speak when you're spoken to. Uh huh. So you have to wait till she speaks to you. Yeah. And you can't touch them either. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Because I touched to... Princess Anne once yeah. at, at a BAFTA. Yeah. Do you know? And I put my arm on her waist. Yeah. She she leant forward to say something to me, and I just immediately put my arm around her waist. Uh huh. And I apologized to her, and she said, oh, no, no, it was fine. Thank you very much. But you knew you had to apologize? Yeah. Oh, my God. You're not supposed to touch them. <laughs> That's it, the royals. And that comes from the very early days, you know, when the people believed they were different, and blue blood, and yeah. they were chosen by God, and all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And it just sticks. Yeah. Don't, 
Don't touch them. Just wave. Because yeah. the divine right of kings and all that, they actually believed they were chosen by God in the, in the past. So yeah. that lingers. Uh, oh, yeah, well, there's uh, there's uh, uh, hundreds of years yeah. of lingering. Hundreds of years of serious training of the working class. Well, that's your audience. Yeah. That's interesting. Because I remember the Duchess of Argyle was sitting behind me at a gig. I used to f- shoot for Jackie Stewart. You know, skeet shooting mm-hmm. at Glen Eagles, and, uh, and all the royals would be there, and the gillies, all the country guys, and the, yeah. the groundsmen and everything. And, yeah. And uh, the Duchess of Argyle was sitting behind me, and I went, excuse me, and I touched her, and you'd think I was on fire the way she leapt. That <laughs> 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 was very strange. So when you met the Queen... Yes, I well, had dinner well, with her. At the same table? Yeah. What was that event? She was sitting on my left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was lovely. Right right there? Absolutely right next to me, yeah. What was the event? It was a private dinner. It was for Fergie and Prince Andrew when they were married. We were friends of theirs. Uh-huh. And they invited us around for dinner. She didn't say the Queen was coming, but the In- Duke of Edinburgh. It was lovely. So uh, how did the... Uh- so you're sitting right next to her. How what, how would you how was the conversation? Oh, it was well, mostly it was about other things, about horses and <laughs> very polite, I imagine. It was all very polite. Everybody was in the very best behavior. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to say too much. It's considered very rude to tell everybody what she said. Oh, really? Yeah. By who? By whom? By whom? <laughs> <laughs> Is it a secret? You were talking about horses. It's considered very bad manners to carry it off. Oh, really? Yes. So you're a mannered man all of a sudden when it comes to the queen. (laughs) In search of the knighthood. (laughs) Is that that a desire? No. Oh, the hell would you do with that, you and Elton John? I'm a commander of the British Empire. Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, it's a CBE. Really? Yeah, commander of the Order of the it's, British Empire. It feels to me like they're just handing them out lately. I, I don't see why you should. <laughs> why the hell you shouldn't get one? It seems like they're giving everybody one. Any I guy, was going to do a tour of the British Empire. Unfortunately, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> but it's like, what good is a, a, a commander of the empire? When, when yeah, I mean, what's what's Paul McCartney going to do with that? He's already conquered the world. Absolutely, he's bigger than the British Empire. Much bigger and richer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But who's Elton Johnson a knight? Uh, he's a knight. And uh, McCartney's a knight? Well, you can't become... Oh, yes, you can become a knight if you're Irish. Like, for, Geldof is one, but you can't... How did that fucker get that you, before you, Bono? How did you, Geldof... Because, because of, he did. Band-aid. He did a thing. Oh, because he helped the poor. Yeah. And uh, he... But you can't use sir. You With, can't use oh, the title sir. You can't be a sir if you're from uh, Ireland. That's right. What do you get? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that shit will never end, I guess, huh? Oh, but uh, your place at the table, it would say Sir Bob Geldof. Right, but, but you but can't use it as a verbally title. Verbally say it to you. Because of manners or because it's just not your earned... You're not a sir, you're a knight, but you're not a sir because That's you're Irish. That's right, you're not of this soil. Okay, all right. So you sat with the queen and you got to keep that a secret because of good manners. But, uh, you know... She didn't tell dirty jokes or anything. There's nothing to be hidden with this. Okay, fine, fine. No, I, I, I understand. I wasn't expecting it to be riveting conversation. I'm just <laughs> sur- surprised. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just surprised at your oath, your uh, your oath of manners. 
maybe maybe it's better off because if you were to tell me at this point, it'd be like she said the meat was good. You know, <laughs> but I'm not going to come to dinner at your house and tell everybody what you said either. Okay. All right. Well, I'll remember that. I'll remember that when I want to have a secret dinner, <laughs> Billy, Billy, <laughs> Billy. No, there's a difference between secret and private. No, I. I okay, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, private is a matter of manners. Secret's yeah. a matter of like, are you my friend or what? Absolutely. Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You can't fucking tell anybody this because I'm in trouble. And you have to wear fancy clothes for secrets. You have to wear badges and for for private. You have or to secret? join the Freemasons for private or no, oh, for, for secret. Secret. Well, yeah. Well, so that's why. So the, that that is the 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 queen. Then that was secret. You had to dress up, didn't you? No. Okay. You did though. No, it was private. <laughs> <laughs> you so, just have to wash yourself <laughs> you want to smell right but but because of manners no one would have said anything i'll tell you the nicest thing that happened did balmoral the castle that you spend the summer in is very close to my scottish house about three or four miles uh-huh and prince andrew phoned one day and said do you want to come over for tea and i said oh great pamela and i went over and as i drove in the whole family were lined up Oh, really? Outside, yeah. To, to welcome you? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It was the strangest thing. But, I mean, the, but the, to, to really think about the, the, the sort of disparity between that and, and what I imagine you grew up in. Absolutely. It's totally foreign. It, it, but it, it's foreign to everybody. I, I mean, I guess that was the way of of the uh, of the, the, the monarchy and the arist- aristocratic class. Oh, yeah. But... But you know, you're what you come from is what most people are. So it, it isn't there a moment, you know, where you're like, "What the fuck is this bullshit? What am I doing here?" Yeah, this seems. Yeah. Like, this is their whole day. They just spent an hour lining up and preparing <laughs> to line up you know, just because a car was pulling up. You know, like if you grew up anywhere else, it's like we have things to do. So I I played John Brown, who was a oh Queen, that's right that Queen was Victoria's great lover, that's and, right and Mrs Brown and yeah. so the Duke of Edinburgh took me away. My wife was whipped in with the Queen into the castle, and the yeah. Duke of Edinburgh took me away in his Land Rover yeah. to show me the John Brown spots where he lived and the statue of him and all that. It was great. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Did, did he know the spots where, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is the stable where they used to. <laughs> <laughs> they all deny it, of course. Yeah. Do they? Do they? Publicly, oh, yeah. of course, they have yeah. to. Right. Well, they try to. And now it's hard to deny anything. Absolutely. It's, it's gotten a little more difficult to uh, to say I didn't do something. Well, here's a picture from a plane of you doing it. So, uh, but uh, but that but that was interesting, that movie, because in the same way about manners and about, if, if I recall correctly, even though that affair was was a real thing, there there was a it was mannered in its in, in its. Uh, Oh yeah, there was a social standing took yeah, place. You know? Right, right. He had to mind his manners when he was with her. They couldn't speak to her in a certain way. It's, uh, like when I called her woman, oh, for God's sake, woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was utterly shocked. <laughs> you know, it's extraordinary. Yeah. Well, you know that tone will shock most women. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> royalty or not, for God's sakes, woman, you'll get that same look from uh, almost any it, woman. Yeah. Like what? What do you, have? you get that from Rosie the Riveter. Sure. <laughs> so what was the big break as a comic for you? You know, about when did that happen? When did you That take- would be in the 70s. Uh, I was on Mike Parkinson's show, which was like uh, Johnny Carson uh-huh. in Britain. Yeah. And uh, I did very well. Uh-huh. And, uh, I'll tell you what. The following day was a Sunday, and I was going back to Scotland. It was filmed in London. 
televised in London, and I live, and I was in the airport, and a Chinese guy asked me for my autograph, and I thought, ooh. Something's ooh, different. How weird is this? But when I got to Glasgow Airport, yeah. the, they all applauded as I was walking through. Oh, really? Yeah. Local boy makes good. Yeah. You did it. That was, and I knew, oh my God, I've done something very big here. What was the bit? It was a, 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 a story about a guy who had murdered his wife, and uh, he he buries her in a little shed outside in his garden. Yeah. And he takes his friend in to see it, but he's left her ass sticking out of the ground. Yeah. And he said, what'd you do that for? And he said, I need somewhere to park my bicycle. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And I imagine that at that point, no one had ever said anything like Nobody that on British television. Nobody had remotely like that. N- nothing. Because people forget how the world changes. Comedians forget, especially the new ones. Like I remember being in a hotel. I remember the, the Garion Hotel in Motherwell, and I said fart. And it just took the room to bits. But you could be openly racist. I think there's still menstrual shows in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there were the wars when I was growing up. Right, the black and white minstrel show. Yeah, it was. Hello there. It was. Yeah, it was. It lasted there longer than anywhere. Yeah, and there was black guys in the show, but most of them were white, made uh-huh. up to be black. Mm-hmm. Very weird. Yeah. So okay, so you broke but, this barrier. But, but comedy was openly racist in those days, and I wasn't. But because I came from that folky background, you know, a sort of uh, left wing sort of. Sure. Considered itself more intellectual background. But some of the guys that you but were... the guys doing nightclubs and so all that were, were openly racist. And guys you work with. Yeah, guys I worked with. And was there... You know, it's a weird position to be in, but what, was there any conversation about that? It's hard when you, you know it's wrong, but it's their personality. No, it, there wasn't much conversation. It was just the done thing. But we didn't have things like, he jewed me down. That, that's exclusively American. That, that shocked me when I came to America. They, but there's characterizations of Jews. Like I, I actually encountered some strange and cultured anti-Semitism in in England. You yeah. Know, in conversation. You yeah. Know, the, the assumptions about a Jew. Oh yeah, like, yeah. 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 There's someone will say, "Well, the Jews," and I'm like, oh, "I'm a Jew." And they're like, oh, really? You don't look. Let me look at your nose. And they don't have any problem saying yeah. something like that. I'm like, you know, that's you know, yeah. Yeah. And the, the the thing they always confused me when I was younger. They would talk about Jews and they would go into this weird accent that they supposed was Yiddish. Yeah, yeah. But I had never heard anybody speaking in Yiddish in it, but I knew some Jewish guys who didn't speak like that. Yeah, I thought, yeah. why do they do that funny voice when they're talking about Jews? I just couldn't get it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't get the the racist gene. So, well, that's good. So the the language of, and the idea of the, you know, the, the bike, where it's where I park my bike and the death and the, the, the sort of... Uh, hilarious morbidity of it was did did you plan on doing that bit you know before you went on the show or did it no just, it just happened it did it really yeah so you're like I'm, that's an exciting moment where you're like i know this is gonna fucking shake shit up and and, and, and the energy of yeah it's a lovely thing to do the, the, it's sort of like it's electric it's coming oh, yeah, out and it's addictive as well yeah oh was it it was live tv well it wasn't actually live it was a but it went out about an hour after you had done it but they didn't cut it they didn't cut it they left it in because it ripped the place to bits <laughs> they've never heard anything like it. <laughs> it's it's a rare event in life where you can actually land on the moon absolutely 
<laughs> this is bullseye. Boom. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, Home he, just, run. he just did something that never, that's never happened before. That's absolutely. And the, and the, the airwaves were alive with it all week. Did you see that guy, Connolly, on the panel said, oh, my God. And that was it. That joke. And the, people still talk to me today about the joke. And it was 1974, I did it. It made that much of an impact. Yeah. That's amazing. So from that moment on... what And the guy who told me it was in Spain. We were going to a football match, Scotland and Spain. Yeah. yeah. And we were walking along the street and he went, Hey, Billy, did you hear the one about... And, and, and I leant against a wall laughing and he walked away. I've never met him again. So it was just an old joke that yeah. you reframed somehow. And on the, the limo going into the BBC, my manager, Frank Lynch, said, now, whatever you do, don't tell that joke about the ass sticking out of the ground. Yeah. Right. I right. Said, okay. And it was the biggest mistake he ever made. I had no intention of doing it. So the idea that it was sort of an old joke didn't bother you? Not in the least. <laughs> that's a different tradition. Oh, absolutely. If a joke is good and it's an if old it's joke. If it's good, that's all it needs. And it doesn't have specific authorship, do it. Boof. <laughs> Straight in. Lead with the forehead. How much of your early material was street jokes versus stories? About a third street about two thirds stories and the story part kept growing and growing and growing but I kept the street stuff in I still do I still tell jokes when I hear a good one yeah yeah And yeah. It, but I think that probably trained you in some way especially if yeah. they're good long jokes oh yeah after you did that so then you started you were a comedian you were a force to be reckoned with and this is before this is before the stand up comedy boom I read in the newspaper I was a comedian I always thought I was a funny folk singer uh huh and then I thought, and I'd wanted to be a comedian, but I wasn't sure how you'd do that because there was vaudeville was still alive, as it still is in Scotland. Mm -hmm. And the, there was a nightclub circuit, but as I said, most of them were doing kind of racist stuff and they were wearing blue mohair suits. Right. They, they all looked like Perry Como. Right. And, and I, I didn't know, I was too scruffy. I was, I'd shoulder length hair and a beard, and I, I looked like a tramp. You well, know? I don't think that that first wave of stand-ups, even like, you know, Carlin or, or Pryor or Cheech and Chong, wasn't until 72, 73 That's over right. here. Yeah. And, and there certainly wasn't any uh, sort of stand-up comedy scene in, in the UK at that time of that That's kind. That's right. Well, I guess that Carlin and them were doing it in the college campuses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. You know, out of the road of the public. Right. And, and I was doing it in folk clubs. Right. Where you could fill the concert hall and the people next door never heard of you. Yeah. And so when you started doing it, there there wasn't really a comedy scene other than that old style. No, there wasn't anything. There was no such thing as a comedy club. Most of the guys here that you talked to who were part of that before there was a comedy club, they opened for uh, for musicians and bands. That's right. I did that as well. I opened for Elton John. Oh, really? Yeah, 1976. Yeah. Madison Square Garden for a week. Oh, come on. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> and, would get, and I wasn't on the program and I wasn't on the, the marquee or anything. So the, the guy, a voice would say, ladies and gentlemen, oh, Elton, ass friend. Yeah. <laughs> Billy, who? Fuck off. It's the worst gig in the world. Oh, God. Frisbees coming at you and also, oh. Opening for music. Jesus, it was nightmarish. Half of them are standing. Absolutely. Did, so you and Elton were friends? Oh, yeah, I still am. Yeah? Yeah, I love him. <laughs> and he was trying to help you out. Yeah. So every night you'd come, you know, covered with, you know, you know like a bruise from a Frisbee. <laughs> you'd walk off stage. <laughs> what would Elton say? 
Oh, God. And I get hit with a pipe. Somebody threw a pipe at me, yeah. ostensibly to give me a smoke, you know, but it hit me in the eye and I fell in my ass because I didn't see it until the last second and it came into the spotlight and hit me between the eyes. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. What did Ellen say? Nightmare. Did he, did he say, like, good He laughed. <laughs> he, he loved it. <laughs> Every he, second he of it. He loved it. So when did, it, when did you start... Uh, you know, touring, you know, legitimately. And when did the scene start to build around you? Because I imagine people like Tommy Tiernan and there's a couple other guys uh, that I saw when I was in uh, Edinburgh that clearly are, are are following a tradition of, of what you did. I mean, I think yes. you sort of established it, yeah. that that element of stand-up I comedy. I doing it behaving like a rock star, you know, doing the concert halls. And yeah. And so you, like a rock band. So because of the, the appearance in the, in the ass joke... Uh, I imagine that the you were like a, a working class hero to the people. That's that, exactly what happened. Right, you freed the language. That's right of the common folk. Right, <laughs> I don't like to say yes, but I think that happened to you know to like he's our guy. Yes, you know he talks like us. Absolutely. And the funniest thing is, my influences were like Jimmy Logan and Scottish comedians. I'd heard on the radio because they would make a breakthrough when I was a teenager. What kind of stuff were they doing? They were doing sort of uh, sitcom stuff on the radio, but in a Glasgow accent. Right. And I thought, oh my God, you can do it. You can be funny in my accent. Right. So that was the influence. And then, you know, you so pretty pretty quickly you started filling concert halls? Yes. And that and it's... It's never really stopped. And that's in the mid-70s? Yeah. That's astounding. Congratulations. That's extraordinary. You did it? it. You're one of a kind. <laughs> You're the only Billy Conley. Absolutely. The very first. <laughs> when did you make the break uh, in, in the States? Because you do all right here. I do okay. I've got a following. You know? Yeah. Is it mostly uh, either uh, Anglophiles or, 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 or people from the UK? It's about 50-50. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I think you're like seeing their dad. Like in a way, it's sort of like you, you bring them back home. That's right. Plus, the, uh, most... Americans think I'm an actor. Right, because of the movies. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't know this part of you. They don't know that part. They see me on talk shows, but that's kind of rare. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you, you don't like doing them? I like them, but, uh, but usually you need to be doing something to be on it, you know, pushing a book or a movie or something. Uh-huh. So that's the only times I'm ever doing it. Yeah, and do you still feed on the laughter? Does it still like... Oh, yes. Really? It is. Oh, uh, yes. You'll just go. It's molten bronze. It's uh -huh. lovely. Uh-huh. And this new, uh, what, what's the what's the tour now? Is it uh, a bunch of new stuff, or what are you doing? No, I've never go out with new stuff because <laughs> uh, I don't write at home. I don't do that. I just kind of add to what I've got <laughs> it's organically, an evolving conversation. Yes. So you don't know if it's going to be new stuff. I don't have no idea. <laughs> but you're going to tour. I've got plenty to talk about. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's the longest you've been up there? On stage, yeah, four hours. Really? Yeah. I usually do a bit too. Where was the four? It was in uh, Dunedin in New Zealand. I was talking away and, uh, and, uh, and it was, I looked at the, I have a little clock on stage inside yeah. my, the stool that I use. And I thought, holy shit, it's quarter past 11. I've been on for three and a quarter hours. <laughs> so I said to the audience, listen, I've been on for three and a quarter hours. Yeah. Do you fancy we'll take it to midnight? And I said, because I've always made it a point to come off the same day I went on. <laughs> Let's go till tomorrow, and they went, yes. No, so, one, so I did it, and then and I was in the town hall, and at midnight the bell and the town hall went bong, and the audience went crazy. Yay! Oh, he did it. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking beautiful. And you're going back there, right? I'm going back. Yeah. 
So, and everything and else. You've got stuff to do in The Hobbit as well. What, yeah. While it, I'm there. Is that, were you in the other ones? I don't watch them. No, I'm in this next one. It's exciting. Christmas. It's already shot. I'm a dwarf. Really? A very yeah. large dwarf? Or did yes. they dwarf you for it? They dwarfed us. Uh-huh. There's lots of dwarfs in it, and they're all normal-sized guys, but they, they put the stuff on you that makes you look really wide. Uh-huh. They make you up really wide and false bits of head and big hands and all that, and you shrink. What, did you shoot that in New Zealand? Yes. And how many, How long was that shoot? Three months. And with Peter Jackson? Yeah. Well, I was there for three months, so I didn't shoot that long. Was it exciting? Oh, yeah. It's like a magical place there. I've never been there, is it? I think they make movies like people used to make movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was in the studio and there was a, a scene before I'm in it where the dwarves are coming down a, a, a river that's outrage. It's just plummeting down out of control, this river. And they've got a, they're in a barrel. Each of them are in his own barrel as they plummet down the river and all fighting. And, so. and I went to watch it. I was flabbergasted, you know, the... The, the way they did it that's the way they used to make movies here yeah but they're doing it down there in New Zealand just on location for real yes they yeah. just built the thing and did it that's beautiful and uh, you got a pretty big part is it a pretty big part oh no it's well it was a big part I'm the king of the dwarves oh that's Dane good Ironfoot but I've become the king when they kill the old king so it's at the end of the battle I come to, into my own but you don't die. So I'm not on that long, but I'm quite important. Uh-huh. You don't die though. No, I don't die, which so, is unusual for mm-hmm. my children. My children hate it. I die in almost every movie. <laughs> it must be terrible watching your father die. <laughs> so when I'm going to do a movie, they always say to me, "Do you die?" <laughs> <laughs> and, but but that maybe you'll come back for the next one. They, they don't seem to stop making these things. Yeah. Yeah. How's your health? Not so hot. Well, it's getting better now. I, I had uh, prostate cancer, uh-huh. and I, I have uh, Parkinson's disease. How long you had that? Well, I was only told about it in August. Oh, really? Yeah. So new. Uh, it's new. Fresh. Fresh and new. Yeah. And uh, they got you on the good meds or what? Well, I was on the meds, and they took me off. They said the side effects were stronger than the effects. Uh-huh. What so, were those? Well, there was, there's a little shaking going on. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the side effects were... I didn't get any of this, but it's supposed to be oversexed and, and interest in gambling. So if you see anybody in Las Vegas with an erection, he's got Parkinson's disease. <laughs> <laughs> the guy at the blackjack table with a boner shaking uncontrollably. <laughs> he's on Parkinson's medication. He'd be in craps for that little dude. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's got. Why is he still doing that without the dice? <laughs> There you go. You got a new 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Yeah, anything I could do to help. It was great talking to you, man. I appreciate oh, you coming by. Pleasure. Fucking lovely man. I really appreciate talking to him, and I'm glad he made the time to, uh, to talk. And uh, I really recommend that. If you haven't seen Billy, you should see Billy, because he's a, he really is one of a kind, and he is a maverick in his own way, that's for sure. That is it, man. That is it. Boomer lives!